change my glasses over and see what you think. Oh, no. Does that make me more or less um, pervy <laughs> by the look of your face? Um, Listen, you're not used to these. These are re reactor lights. I would say less that, more Roy Orbison. Okay, it's that. Thank you. Yeah. Is that enough? Back to my... Anyway, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley. And, uh, or JB, to, Friends. Uh, to be more intimate about it. Mm. Um, we have had quite a busy week together. Ant and I, I mean, we might as well just start sleeping in the same bed now because... <laughs> I don't know what your wife would say about that, but... Um, You've met my wife I, enough to know that she'd be fine with it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> not in, not in that way. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, Sorry. I, wow, ooh, what, a start to the, mm. what a start to the podcast. Um, I was just thinking about the other way around, actually. What would my wife make of that? Um, I was at your wife's 50th birthday. I do remember her 50th birthday, and I do remember you being there. It wasn't, it was by default, if you remember, I came down to meet with you in, for us to have a planning meeting for a client that we were working with. And yeah. um, it was a strategy day. And then you said, you must meet my wife. So on the way to, you, she had a girl's lunch thing, I think. That's it. And you and me um, then popped there for a drink to say hello, because I'd never met her face to face before. And the rest is history, of course. So I had a dilemma that day because it was my wife's birthday and normally... I would be at that birthday and I, obviously I was invited but you and I had urgent business to attend to and uh, I had to make a call and my call was I'm going to spend the day with Ant and that is why we have such a strong relationship and what you and Christabel or me and you <laughs> <laughs> me and you um, and where I had to do quite a lot of repair and buy lots and lots of presents to make up for the fact that I wasn't there on her birthday and went off with a strange person um, during her birthday lunch. Anyway, so listeners, um, um, welcome along to our leadership podcast where we talk all things leadership. Um, we obviously have... If your, you're lucky. Yes. Yeah. Last week we had um, some really good feedback on last week's episode, actually. Um, anyway, each week we take your listener questions as well as cover a theme. And we're going to talk about that theme in a minute. But um, I know listeners are desperate to hear how your kitchen installation is coming along, JB, before we get into uh -huh. the meat of the day. Well, do you know, funnily enough, on my screen a little earlier, I had a picture of my new kitchen. Uh, I've got the grooviest lights in my kitchen, you could imagine. I've got I've got up lighters, I've got down lighters, I've got lights underneath the units, I've got lights everywhere. And they all come off various different um, buttons and knobs and things all over the kitchen. Very exciting. Um, and... Uh, the if I can set the scene, it's sort of if you if you can imagine walking into a sort of Scandinavian kitchen, um, IKEA. That's see, not see, quite see, what I was hoping. Yeah, for. I knew that was going to get a reaction. Um, but what's wrong with IKEA anyway? I think Nothing. IKEA's but I know, really you, I know you've done. A, I know you've done an oak installation, haven't you? See, see, I so. have. Um, I have done it all myself with my little bare hands and actually sort of. Look at the scars on my hands. Look at the Look nails at broken. Mm. Uh, anyway, yes, I built it. I uh, put the oak worktops up, you know, did all the splicing. And um, did you know that if you uh, put oak together on a corner um, and you join them together, these little things called biscuits go inside? I saw not our worktops like, being fitted and they, they kind like of these. They clamp together, don't they? And they it... Yeah. So you clamp it all together and these little biscuits, they're little round biscuits and they're inserted into uh, the sides of the worktop so that it then all compresses and glues the biscuits in. Why are they called biscuits? Weird, isn't it? Anyway, they, it all glues in really, really nicely. Anyway, so did all of that, mm. um, created an island unit for me nice to, to, to locate myself when things are a little bit scary in the kitchen, mm. a little island. Um, and I've now, I've now got to the point where it's just all the finishing offy little bits to do, uh, which is massively exciting. But my wife did pull me off the job, oh, um, no. to, um, because she's worried about my, my energy going into this and my back. God damn it. 
I think I was talking about squirming around on the floor last week. Well, you're, um, not, you're not a small chap, are you, in height terms? So I can understand your back having issues there. Well, this is a six foot three man who is, you know, built like Mike Tyson mm. um, in my dreams. And but so sort of writhing around underneath a, underneath a worktop, um, trying to get everything level. My back took the hit for the team big time. The um, interesting point on height, by the way, um, in a virtual world, which a lot of our listeners are currently still in the midst of, um, there was a team meeting in one of our client organisations last week where it was discussed everyone's height because three quarters of the team had never met face to face. And of course, in this environment, indeed our live audience, they can't see how tall we are. They can see our faces but they've got no idea of ah. our scale. And there was a conversation of, actually, when we all meet up face-to-face, we've got no idea how tall we're all going to be. Um, and they had this big discussion, apparently, as to what, you know, they'd been hired. A lot of these people have been hired remotely. So, you know, at Seedle, we have five recruits that have never met each other. <laughs> That's so interesting. So they were saying, well, actually, and so this 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 one girl said, well, I'm, I'm only five foot one. And they're like, no way, you're five foot one. I mean, on camera, you look really tall. She goes, well, I've got quite a big upper body, but my legs are really tiny. <laughs> yeah, my upper body is five foot one. Yeah. And the rest of my body is two foot, two inches and two. There's an, there's another girl that, that, that we work for, and we had this discussion at our place of work, and I thought she was quite a petite little thing uh, on camera. It turns out she's five foot eight. Quite tall, Sarah. Ah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Well, is it, so I, that reminds me of that fantastic thing that you talked to me about um, a few months ago about shoes. Ah, uh, yeah, there was... Um, Tell us about that, because that was bloody brilliant. I love that. So I was talk- So for the listeners' benefit, I was having a meeting with a consultant um, who was going to be doing some work with us with a client. And the... Um, the consultant said, you can tell a lot about a company's culture based on the shoes that in particular the leadership wear. Are they a brogue wearing organisation? Are they a black court shoe organisation? Or are they a flip flop organisation? And he said, have a look at that and then have a discussion about it. And I came up thinking that sounds a bit weird. And I started thinking about our clients going, bloody, yeah, they're definitely a black shoe wearing organisation. And yeah, those think, ones. But they're probably all wearing sandals. They were probably wearing sandals yesterday, that company we worked with. <laughs> so yesterday, me and JB had to do a conference with a very senior, you know, a board level team yesterday. Um, I reckon some of them were probably. I think that's a bit of a, there's a collision of cultures going on that they need to work out, I suspect. If we'd seen their shoes and they were black brogues, I think I would have been shitting myself. I hadn't even thought about their shoes and I certainly hadn't thought about what height they were. So if they were all about six foot five and brogue wearing, I think I probably would have felt very intimidated with the crazy shit that we were doing yesterday. We were doing some crazy stuff yesterday. <laughs> we really were. But um, I think I think, I think think we delivered it. What I shoes were you wearing, actually, to that meeting? I was about to ask you the same question. I can tell you I was just in my socks yesterday. So, so for the benefit of the listeners, this particular client, because they are black shoe-wearing organisations... Me and JB, because the chief executive who was on that call insists on wearing a tie and doesn't like his executive committee to not wear a tie, they never wear a tie, so we do. Because <laughs> we know he'll pick up on it going, because well, they're dressed very smartly, unlike you guys. So yesterday we actually played in it with the audience saying, well, why are you not wearing ties? Scruffy. First impressions, guys and girls. Well, so um, I came fresh from the kitchen yesterday where I had been... Um, sanding and oiling boards to go and do um, storytelling with an executive board. There's your tie. Um, and his for for the um, listeners who can't see, and was showing his his yeah. lovely lovely tie. I keep forgetting that we've got our recorded listeners and our live audience. So I, yesterday I'd been doing all of this sanding and oiling and everything, and I just changed my shirt. Um, and put a tie on, put a jacket on. So my top half uh, was for the executive board and my bottom half uh, was for the oak boards that I was oiling. I actually wore work, I wore wore a full suit yesterday, work trousers as well, but I just didn't wear any shoes. So after the meeting, that finished, I went upstairs with my wife, sister-in-law and children were having dinner and my youngest went, why are you wearing that, daddy? He's not seen me in a jacket in his living, he's only two. 
and obviously for the last 15, 16 months. In fact, actually, I suspect this, so is, this is an interesting point, is I wonder whether um, children, if they see their parents wearing ties again, or maybe don't even remember them wearing ties, think, oh, you're wearing school uniform because our children all wear ties as school uniform. Yeah. But Or you're going to a funeral. Yeah, unfortunately. Anyway, um, let's get on because JB has set the topic for today's podcast and I'll let him explain. Um, it's a bit of a an interesting one because it has political implications, I suspect, which will creep into our discussion. But I do think it's quite practical for our listeners and you as a leader to reflect upon. Um, as you know, these podcasts are always a little bit random in, in how we do things. And that's what people seem to know and love after 18 months of these podcasts being out there. Um, and we do tackle some interesting topics, which does blur the lines of leadership and what we've learned in the public eye. And today is one of those examples, isn't it, Mr. Bradley? Well, it is a bit. And uh, remarkably, and I managed to find a little bit of time uh, to do How? a little bit of homework. Wow. I don't know. Um, anyway, I remembered uh, that in a study... Uh, conducted by uh, Kusis and Polsner, uh, which you'll find in the uh, Leadership Challenge book, which is a huge, weighty tomb. Wowzers. As I'm now demonstrating two and the size of this ginormous... Let's that with this book. Oh, well, my book, you could probably fit about five of my little really? book. Really? Available at Amazon. Uh, it's called The No Normal Leader. Um, there we are. For anyone who's, who's so I'm, I'm holding sorry for the recorded audience. I'm holding up the. No, no, We're no. getting some quite good reviews on that. But anyway, so um, the reason I went to this book was because in the back of my mind I knew the subject matter that we're going to talk about today is highlighted in the list of things that people uh, talk about with admired leaders. Interesting. It's, it's in there. It's on the list of things, um, the characteristics of admired leaders. Where do you think this particular point that we're going to talk about, and this is just for you and me for a second, Ant, mm -hmm. where do you think it is? And then we'll reveal what it is to the, to the audience. Where do you think it is on a ranking of 20 things that characterise admired leaders? I would say five or six out of 20. Okay. So what we're talking about today is honesty. And in the characteristics of admired leaders that is researched on a fairly regular basis by Kusas and Posner and published uh, in the Leadership Challenge, which is a bloody great book, actually. Um, if you've got a year quite, to read it. <laughs> you do need uh, to have a very long bath to read it. Um, and it, it ranks uh, all of these characteristics in a long list. And it, not only that, it does it uh, internationally. So it's not just the States or UK or whatever. It's an international study. And guess what? Honesty comes out top Interesting. by some margin uh, as one of the correct characteristics of admired leaders it is it is top across the world in every single thousands of studies that they've done honesty comes out top and um obviously without debating this in further detail my assumption of it being slightly further down was because there could be other words that relate to honesty in leadership so for example i thought authentic was probably going to be higher than honesty. Um, well, let's let's so that list and mm. um, let's look at the top four. Okay, and we can go, we can go further down into the list if it's interesting to you and the listener. But um, so honest, um, I haven't got the most recent edition of this because, as you know, I'm 150, and the last time I bought this book, uh, 1987. Was, <laughs> it was back in 2002, funnily enough. Oh. Um, but I don't think, well, the world has changed a lot. Uh, maybe maybe honesty, the requirement from people for leaders to be honest, is that much greater or maybe not. And no. that's where we're having this conversation, you see. I mm. think it's quite interesting. Um, but in 1987, 
um, it was the highest. In, in 1995, it was the highest. And 2002, it was the highest. The second, consistently, uh, was forward-looking. Okay. Visionary, um, essentially. Vision. It? That's about vision, isn't it? And the third was competent. They were competent in what they did do. And the fourth was inspiring. I'll just run through the others. Uh, it all gets into a bit of a blur now, but um, intelligent. Oh, my goodness. Uh, is that a requirement of leaders? Woo! Uh, Fair-minded. That would be handy. Broad-minded. So we're going down the list now just to, to, to refresh what this is all about. Um, supportive, straightforward, dependable, cooperative, determined, imaginative, ambitious, courageous, <laughs> caring, mature, loyal, self-controlled, independent, right at the bottom. So independent at the bottom, honest at the top. The four big characteristics uh, that people um, view and admire in their leaders, number one, by some margin, honesty, followed by forward-looking, followed by competent, followed by inspiring. So I thought that would be quite an interesting little start to this week's podcast. So the reason that JB put this case forward is because there are times when as leaders, perhaps we can't be as transparent as we would like to be. And it's at those points of being a people leader that we then have to make a choice about being honest about the things we can't talk about versus complete fiction. And another reason why this has come up this week is because there's been plenty of examples over the last 12 months in particular, but also in the last week again, where honesty and integrity is being challenged by political leaders, for example. I mean, I know Donald Trump has been regularly labelled as being flexible with the truth, but our own prime minister in the UK, for those of you that are in the UK, We'll also be aware that in the last week there's been challenges there and clearly that that is potentially damaging. However, what's interesting is, is that I was reading a thought piece on honesty in politics specifically. Um, and it says that too often, um, the, the article basically said that too often a failing opposition leadership will attack integrity over competence because they hope that then floats the mind of the voters to detract away from their incompetence at opposing the in-government government. So it's interesting, isn't it? So um, dependent on where you sit on the political spectrum in the UK, for example, um, I would agree that the opposition are not particularly as strong as I would like them to be. Um, and... I would also suggest that um, some of the things that they are challenging the government on is not necessarily front of mind in someone's decision-making process to whether they would vote for them or not. However, what you are hearing in the consensus of our workers, as in the population of the UK, is... Um, if anyone would still vote for that government despite their dishonesty then there is something mentally wrong with them so there is an attack on people that support the person that's being dishonest because maybe the judgment of the person that's being dishonest is not about whether they're being honest or dishonest it's about their competence so it's trust in their competence rather than trust in their integrity which is a bigger discussion where we bring honesty into the equation and therefore I've then tried to put that into a business context and thought about times where I have to be creative with the truth as a leader and actually the intent behind being dishonest on face value. So let me talk you through this. Are you okay with this, JB, if I'm taking I, you off I, tangent? I'm riveted. Oh, okay. Am I telling a story? 
I think it is a little bit like a... We're going to go into a story now. Not Well, I'm going to give you an exa- a hypothetical okay. example which will, will have some basis of reality within it. Okay. Um, Do I need to take notes? No. No, please okay. don't. It's recorded anyway. Play it back later right. if, you, if you're interested. Um, so there are times in an organisation maybe where we ultimately are given instruction from above that we need to hit a particular KPI or if we don't do that, we are going to have to exit people. And yeah. I'm glad you that I was thinking that one. Yeah. I'm glad you've gone there. So on that basis, do I stand up in front of my people and say to them, stick in hand, I'm going to have to exit some people unless we hit our numbers? Because the potential implication of that is some people will not be focused on achieving that KPI. Instead, they're thinking, what's the KPI? Unachievable. Do you know what? I'm going to be looking for another job because clearly my card is marked. So that actually has a negative impact on the engagement of those people to hit that KPI. Furthermore, um, it may actually be to the interest of those people that we want to retain to make them feel that it is necessary for me to be colourful with the truth. So of course, my positioning would be in front of those people. We have an ambitious target to hit. We have an opportunity. So I would probably counter the threat from above with an opportunity for success as my communication. Now, of course, six months later, we didn't hit those KPIs. I've had to exit two people. This is hypothesis, by the way. This is not real world now. Um, Yeah, yeah. How would I react knowing that maybe my reputation around the organisation is one of a dishonest leader when in actual fact my intent was to protect the people and the organisation and people's mental health. Um, so I, I think there is a time and a place in leadership for honesty. And equally, what bothers me about the current political world is that they're attacking people's honesty in really quite random things that don't really have a bearing on the overall performance of an organisation. If my CEO, okay, I understand the context is completely different. If my CEO had had some renovation work done by a potential supplier of ours, <laughs> and as the work was going on, thought, actually, this is a bit dodgy. I really should pay this back. And then I did it. But then now I'm being labeled as someone that was benefiting from bribes, if you will. But I realized it before it was even called out and fixed this situation myself. But I'm forced because of the way the media operates to kind of be a bit colourful with the truth. And equally in a meeting, in a moment of complete heat, like you and I did before we went live today, we said some things that probably might be classified as inappropriate if we're in the public domain, but not. If I'd said something inappropriate that I'd rather, um, you know, shoot some people in my organisation than do a particular activity about rolling out a new product or service. But again, if I'm then challenged on that and I know the reaction could be pretty blurred, and I might go, yeah, it wasn't recorded. Yeah, do you know what? I didn't say it. It's difficult. I tell you what, I do, would not want to be a leader in the public eye. No way. And actually, that's the problem. I think mainstream media and opposition parties and indeed government parties against the opposition don't really now make it about the competence of being able to do run the business. It's all about the infighting and the political point scoring. And for me, I don't blame dishonesty on both sides. You know, we can we we we've talked about on you know there's a couple of examples, and I will hand back to you in a minute, JB, because sorry, I've, I've stolen the microphone here. But we've got um, Blair and Campbell, uh, weapons of mass destruction. So Labour heavily suggested as not being honest. You have anti-Semitism as a huge issue in the Labour Party in recent times, and complete denial by everybody in the party that ever existed as a problem. Huge dishonesty, despite evidence being everywhere about actually there being a huge problem in their party. You have a prime minister who is famous for gaffes and bumbling around and sometimes blatantly telling a lie, um, whether that has been his own words or been put into his mouth by somebody else. Um, it's either here nor there. And there is cases of racism and anti-Semitism in the government party. Who on earth would want to govern? Who would want to lead? And if we want to attract leaders to the front, 
if we are going to start being honest, the rest of the organization's people need to be comfortable with people being honest. Because sometimes they ain't going to like what you hear. There's my take. Ooh. A lot to digest there. I know. You went theory. I went... Um, brain well, dump. Well, do you know, I am I am going to take us back to Kusis and Posner. <laughs> back I, in the I real am. world, guys. Yeah, no, I'm going to take us back there to the leadership challenge and, and dig into this point about honesty because their view is quite interesting. And okay. I think it, it adds another layer to what you were just saying. So let me just read it out and then we'll see where we go from there. So uh, th this is in their words, okay? This isn't me. So honesty is strongly tied to values and ethics. We appreciate people who take a stand on important principles. You might disagree with this. We resolutely refuse to follow those who lack confidence in their own beliefs. So we resolutely refuse to follow those who lack confidence in their own beliefs. Confusion over whether the leader stands creates stress, not knowing the leader's beliefs contributes to conflict, indecision and political rivalry. We simply don't trust people who can't or won't tell us their values, ethics and standards. Hmm. So I'm finding that quite interesting is this back in 2002 and in 2021 are we living in a different world where honesty um, is strongly tied to values and ethics if confusion over whether the leader stands uh, and this typo in this book ha huh, my favorite book's got a typo <coughs> Um, it isn't me reading this funny. I think the confusion over where the leader stands creates stress. Oh, sorry. Yes. No, sorry. Sorry, Kusas and Posner. Yeah. Confusion over um, whether the leader stands. Um, no, confusion over where the leader stands creates stress. Not knowing the leader's beliefs contributes to conflict, indecision and political rivalry. We simply don't trust people who can't or won't tell us tell us their values, ethics, and standards. I don't. I, let's talk about Johnson for a second because it's you know something that we have bombarded at us every day. Um, I don't get his values. I don't get his ethics, and I certainly don't get his standards. Um, this information tells us that that creates conflict, indecision, and political rivalry. I suggest that that is precisely we, what we have uh, with this government right now. Conflict, indecision, and political rivalry. Uh, we don't know the makeup of our leader. There is mounting evidence that he is a pathological liar, and uh, I think it is distorting. I think it is creating a great deal uh, of difficulty for the leadership of this country to actually do their jobs properly. I suspect that it's a battle that is taking their eye off the ball mm -hmm. of running the country effectively and doing it with great competence. So I think if you if you whittle that down to one word it's honesty and i i worry that we can't measure competence effectively if we don't understand the values ethics and standards of the leader it creates this indecision conflict and political rivalry as as um espoused by kusner and posnis is the honesty of a single individual that happens to be the head of an organization the single decision as to whether you continue to support that organization or not well i so i have to put the timeline into that and 
um, because uh, that you might be able to do an awful lot of things with an awful, awful lot of dishonesty for a period of time. Right. And I think you could, um, if you're not going to uh, adhere to the rule of law, uh, if you're not going to adhere to the old company culture, to the old systems and processes, um, and if you're going to um, be dishonest and lie, because it's just easier sometimes, your leadership isn't going to last very long. It is not sustainable. Mm. And I think sometimes people are put into positions in uh, political circles and in corporate settings to get things done fast. And you might have heard this term, um, Boris's, um, Boris Johnson's uh, character deficit uh, and behaviours are built in to him being elected in the first place as Tory leader. Have you heard that term? It's all kind of built in because that is it is expected that Boris is just going to be Boris. Yep. To me, uh, I can frame that in my own mind with what evidence I, I am aware of as a dishonest man. Boris's term in office may not even last the full length uh, because you can't you can't run a country like that you cannot um, make that happen it's, it's only going to be a short-term thing so yes you can have a leader who does dishonest things and still believe in the company and still believe in the country um, but that leader ultimately is harming the will not survive yeah agreed. Uh, will not survive boris johnson will not survive uh, because he is fundamentally flawed in the sense that he is dishonest and corrupt and i don't mind going on this podcast and saying that it's how i feel it's what i see but he's not alone i think he's got lots of other people around the world uh, they all happen to be men um, and they are all fundamentally dishonest. And I'm excited that I'm I'm beginning to vent um, some of my um, feelings on the matter. And I hope that we have listeners who will just be going, go JB, go JB. But I reckon there are other listeners who will probably be thinking, and there's probably 52% of them who will be thinking, oh, shut up and get on with it. I don't know. I see. So you'll probably gather, listeners, that I sit on the fence. I don't tend to give opinion like JP does, <laughs> and I try and I, I give both sides of the fence. And I now feel the urge, without being too um, uh, obvious in in how I well, vote. It's going to be one of those days. No, no, I don't. No, no. But then, hey, no. it would be boring if we didn't if we agreed on everything anyway. Uh, no, no. I, actually, no. I do agree with everything you said. But what what surprises me is whilst you were talking there, I looked at the latest polling. And Conservatives ah, are still nine points yes. clear in voting intention yes. if there's an election. Um, yeah. So they're at 45 versus uh, Labour's 36. Yeah. Um, and therefore, in the mind of the voter, they are choosing the organisation over the leader, I would assume. Or they are a reluctant voter. Um, and again, um, I think there is an election happening next week um, in the UK for councils. And of course, the councils normally are around about the midpoint of a of a political term. But we're, what, 20 months into a 60-month marathon now that our governments tend to operate. Um, and um, people don't really think the local council elections matter. So they often are protest votes. But of course, whichever way the vote goes, whether it's in favour of the opposition or in, you know, it'll either be a um, an endorsement of, of the brilliant leadership of Boris Johnson or it will be the ringing... Um, of the bells to say his time is up um, he's been found out as a fraud um, uh, so unfortunately what tends to happen though is that most people you know I know that there are people that voted reluctantly for the Conservative government because they could not vote for Labour or actually they really did like their local member of Parliament um, their local leader that represents their town in the overall and you know the fact they're affiliated with a particular party is is neither here nor there so 
in an organizational sense, I guess we should try and bring it back into 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 leadership speak of individuals, is that um, I think we are in agreement, me and JB, that you have to have high levels of honesty and integrity. And actually, the the, the line I'd, I'd like to use when I know that I can't be as honest as I'd like to be is, these are the things I can talk about and these are the things that I can't. So don't be offended if you ask me a question that's direct and I say I can't answer that here. And that, that tends to carry quite a lot of weight. Um, and what your and my role is as a leader is to reduce uncertainty in people's minds. So therefore, we have to be careful about saying what we can't be saying, but not to then create more uncertainty. You know, I can't answer that question. If someone, you know, if someone just asked me in the town hall, are there going to be job cuts in the next 12 months? Well, my answer would be, and if I've been told there will be job cuts, we don't hit our numbers. My answer would be, look, I'm not going to predict what we're going to do in the next 12 months, but I can tell you if we do these numbers or whatever the goals are, we're in a strong place to grow. Um, we need to grow our organisation. Um, and that would be my answer. Now, is that honest or dishonest? I think that that's that that's where this becomes quite subjective. And it's and unfortunately in politics, you can't get away with saying I'm not going to. And interesting, I watched an interview with Thatcher last week. Really interesting. And he was he was being interviewed by Frost. Um, and he was challenging her on the decision to, um, I think it was to bomber or not bomb. Um, to attack a ship in the Falklands War. Um, and basically... Is that the Belgrano? Quite possibly. Yeah. And um, love Thatcher or hate Thatcher, um, she went on the attack on Frost with his questioning of one decision that was made in the overall... This was, I think, two or three years after the Falklands War had finished and there'd been, an, you know, kind of a, a report on... on things that went well and didn't go so well and this to your point I think that was one of the ones that didn't go so well um, and she came out and said I would make the same decision again if I was asked that based on the information I had at the time I would make the same decision now um, uh, but she was seen as quite I believe correct me if I'm wrong because I was quite young JB but Thatcher was seen as very honest whether you liked her or hated her you knew what she stood for and she was defiant and she was honest is my understanding I um I I think I think she uh, was uh, honest and I think she was a uh, remarkable uh, leader and you know love her or loathe her yeah. she was she was a remarkable leader she, leader she created an enormous amount of reform um and uh, other people would say she caused an enormous amount of misery um and I but think would, this would, is, would those people say she was honest though I take it they would well I think I think if you pushed them um I think I think they, they would say she was honest but possibly deluded um and <laughs> but do you know what I I I, I am a I am a, an admirer of, of Thatcher um because I think she had a great deal of integrity hmm. um and you know I think it's not uh difficult to work out my feelings towards the current um, you big fan, aren't you? <laughs> um, I, I, I have a major, major, major problem. But um, moving off to another direction on this was the point that you made about standing in front of your uh, business and talking about redundancies and the possibility of redundancies. What if head office had told you uh, that you are oh God, he's going asking to, a question that the answer might go on record go on that you are you are you are um asked to reduce your headcount by five uh within the next four weeks you know you have that information there is no wriggle room uh you are going to do this you have been instructed to do it but in the weekly team meeting uh you are asked this question He's going to be some and, a dick now, isn't he, JB? Here we go. Will there be any redundancies within the next four weeks in this business? What would you say? Knowing what I knew and there was no wriggle room, is that the context? No wriggle room whatsoever. You will be making, you will be reducing your head count and there's no Fine. no getting around from it. It's on a spreadsheet. It's come down to you. You've got to do it. Yes, I would. You'd say there will be... I've got, I've got to make some difficult decisions over the coming weeks. Um, clearly, yeah. the business is not where it's at. 
Um, some of the decisions I take are outside of my control and I'll look to protect as many people as possible, but I have been told that we do need to make some savings. would be probably my, my answer. What yeah. that looks like, I'm not sure today. And I think that would be respected. Um, and, you know, I think it goes back to uh, your, your position as a person. Are your values clear? Are your ethics clear? Um, and is, did I answer is, it right, by the way? Yeah, I think for me you did. I mean, uh, but I know people Audience. who've who've <laughs> swerved it and lied because it was easier in front of a group of people with eyes beaming at you and yeah. fearful for their lives and paying their mortgage and everything else. It's a very, very shitty, lonely place to be yeah, it is. as a leader. And I have been in that situation. And it's a mm. very foul place to be. Uh, but it is much better Bless you. Uh, to, to be honest. Bless and you. Sorry. I think this is where, you know, if honesty is enshrined in your values um, and being open and being fair, for example, you can, you can go back to those values and to say, you've asked me a direct question, and I'm going to give you a direct answer. Yes, there will be redundancies over the next four weeks. There is no way uh, to no way sugar that. that pill. Um, so you've asked me a direct question. That is the answer. Um, I will be honest with you all the way through uh, what will be a process Part of that process is to make sure that everyone um, is treated uh, fairly, not just those who will be made redundant, but those who uh, will probably, um, you know, be asked to step up uh, a lot over the coming weeks, months and so on until we get our numbers where they need to be, which is the source of why this is happening right now. Um, people will be treated um, as fairly as we possibly can can make it happen. Are there any other questions at this time? So I, I, I Stun think silence. No more questions. <laughs> ah, run for the hills. Um, but it's if, a, a if I was terrible situation. So if there was a follow up question then of you know do you know who's going to be going yet? Ah, uh, that that's when not I would appropriate for no, me to say now. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. That's where you, even if you know the answer to that, that's you know what. Um, you know, those that's are, not for now. Those are the discussions we need to have offline. Yeah, um, but I, I will, I will announce everything that I can as as fast as I can when I can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, we, so we, we yeah. don't worry, listeners. We are more united than you may give us credit for. Oh no, we are. We are one hundred percent. Even if we do disagree, so, and I don't think we actually really are in great disagreement. I think it's no. the what we emphasise and and um, what's important and. I I think there are other times in other parts of an organisation where, you know, that phrase sweeping things under the carpet, uh, when it's just easier sometimes just to shove it under the carpet. Um, and there are other times, I remember doing a client, a, a, a big client piece of work um, with a um, publishing company, uh, which I won't name, but... Uh, they had a, they had an they had an honesty problem, and it wasn't that the company was dishonest. But far from it. Uh, it was that they had what they referred to as an intellectual wall, and the intellectual wall was the old regime, um, which was old publishing, uh, versus the the new, which is the digital uh, wall, and this is where people um, you know bright young things were coming in and maybe not so bright and maybe not so young like me um and you know they would they would come in with all these kind of high-flying crazy ideas about digital technology and how we need to create apps and all of this and there was massive conflict um, between the old and the new it wasn't dishonest up to the point when the old guard the intellects over intellectualized everything uh, for these kind of this new new thing coming they were petrified uh, of this change and these new people coming into the organization um, and digitalizing everything and it was actually all about the new teams the digital teams who weren't able to be honest uh, with the old guard when they started doing the intellectual thing 
um, about the old books and have you heard of Plato's rule of blah? And they go, what? Um, well, let me tell you about Plato. And so that would, they would say, look, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of go with what you're saying, but I really, yeah, okay, fine. So they weren't able to be honest and say, um, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. It's like, look over here, look over here, uh, look at Plato. No, I want to have an honest conversation with you about why this isn't working. I, I want to talk to you about the problems that are existing between us. So sometimes I think honesty like that, if if we've got a leader um, who actually is able to espouse an honest way of operating, uh, to promote honesty uh, to the point of excruciating discomfort uh, for some at the moment, I think you get a much, much healthier organization and that was the intervention intervention that we had for months and we we went around the world doing this yeah. with this big company um and we used actors to to demonstrate these these conversations that were failing and to really get people to think about better ways of of being able to be honest and to be so supported to be honest and it was fabulous absolutely fabulous work and really interesting uh to kind of lance that boil and get stuff from underneath the carpet and say that is not the default way of operating here it's it's seizing the moment and and having the confidence and the courage sometimes just to say do you know what when you when you start going on about plato um or pareto or whatever you like it's making me feel really frustrated because it's a roadblock in the way of us working together effectively and i i i, I think that's a that, that's a culturally i think that's quite a big thing about honesty mm. that damages an awful lot of companies we need to go to listen to questions in a minute but i i wanted to make one final point if i may um, which is 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 linked a little bit to the opinion polls, despite the current um, honesty crisis that seems to exist in the heart of our country's government. And it was I was talking to someone a few weeks ago in leadership, and we were talking about you know how is it that leadership still seem to survive public opinion despite their their integrity or intent not being as likable as it is and one of them made the comment that unfortunately some political party supporters treat their political party like a football team they will mm. go with them through thick and thin yeah. and i think it's quite well documented for example in the uk that um that i think it was said once up north that people would vote for the labor party for example even if it was led by a tin of meat they would still vote for that party because of what its values and it stood for so sometimes the leader isn't as big as the brand that sits behind it um, i guess and and there are certainly organizations out there that have had smears significant smears against their owners and i need to be careful about those that i named but if you look up um you know um uh, financial rackets um, slave houses producing things for the clients and users of those particular companies, um, sex misconduct at the top of the organisation, um, you know, of knighted shopkeepers. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Um, yet people still flocked to their stores because the brand is bigger than the leader. And unfortunately, people don't boycott businesses customer-wise. And of course, if there is a reason to still go to that business um, that you're willing to ignore the integrity or intent, then I guess that's the, 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 the consumer world we live in, which is why politics and business always has this slight nuance. But I thought I'd bring that out as a final comment. Um, we have two listener questions sent in. If you want to email us a question um, via podcast, you can do globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or leadershippodcast at seedle.com. They both come through to us and we'll read them out. Um, if you are in the live room, you are welcome to submit a question if you're quick. Let me just check there's nothing coming yet. Has there? No, if you've got a question from the live audience, you can submit it and we'll have a crack. We've got about eight minutes for questions today. Uh, first question, JB, um, from a lady called Stephanie. Don't know where she is. 
Her question is as follows. How long is it before impis... Imposter... <laughs> sorry. How long is it before imposter syndrome disappears? I've been a manager for about a year now and I'm struggling still. Oh, 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 oh that's a... Stephanie, that's a really, a really tricky one. And I, I feel for you if that's how you still feel. Um, there is... I... I I can't uh, predict uh, how long that is going Does to last. Does it ever go, JB? I mean, that's the bigger question. I well, still have what imposter a, syndrome. Mine is reducing. Um, you, as you say, uh, you're 115. Yeah. It's not and I, Yeah, I just... I'd, I'd, I wish I had the uh, lack of imposter syndrome that I have now, that I had in my 30s and 40s i think it was quite crippling at times yes that i thought that um you know boards and senior executives were like different animals you know that they were um a hell of a lot more sophisticated than me (laughs) funny that um and i don't know having worked with so many now and I, i don't wish to come across as arrogant but i have and i i just they're nothing special you know, they're ordinary people. Take them out I, of the business. Think, take away the power. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think there's a there's a there's a kind of pomposity that goes with um, boards and senior execs and so on. That uh, I think you know, just imagine them naked on the loo. Uh, I, I think is is kind of quite useful uh, as a as a technique. That's a metaphor and a half. Um, you know, just you know, they're nothing. They're nothing. That special, they they've probably got some great gifts as you do, Stephanie. I'm sure, um, and I I don't really. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to answer this question. I'm just going to be honest and and just leave it there. On this one, it's the, it's the first time I really I don't know how to answer this question. Um, all I'm going to answer then is. Um... I think it's very subjective to the situation you find yourself in. Um, I, the one thing I would say to you is if your imposter syndrome is down to the lack of competence you have based on the people that are working for you versus your own, um, then that is that is something you can address. So what I mean by that is, is that, you know, if you're leading a team of experts in their field who are far superior to you in terms of the knowledge that they bring the overall business your role is to lead manage and coach those people it's not to be the subject matter expert so if that's causing you imposter syndrome try and break down what it is that causes you that imposter syndrome and do it a bit of a divide and conquer um if it is around perhaps your style or your presence or your you know your your power whatever that looks like i think it it's it's useful to try and work out what causes you those anxieties and maybe one by one pick them off and then start to feel the benefit of reducing that imposter syndrome over time. Davey wants just, to add something. He's had a, he's had a brainwave. Yeah, and I, I think um, you just helped me, Ant, to um, go up a few gears in my head. And um, I, I, I am going to go back to Tim Galway. Um, and in a game of the, tennis, available at all good bookstores. In a game of tennis. Uh, where I get a commission for every time I mention I'm gonna say, uh, that. Go by the affiliate link. <laughs> but it is flipping brilliant uh, thinking about uh, you uh, being made up of two parts, self one, self two. Self one uh, is massively judgmental of yourself too um, and will put those voices into your head like, I'm not good enough. Um, so-and-so is better than me. Um, I, I don't have the right to be here. You don't have the right to be here, is self one saying to self two all the time. Self two, uh, is for, for you, Stephanie, um, you have uh, all of this magnificent potential uh, as, a, as a human being, um, but uh, there are a load of interferences uh, that can get in the way. And it's targeting through, through Team Stephanie... Um, whatever that team is, maybe it's some uh, family, friends, work colleagues. Uh, build a team. Build a damn good team uh, that can help you uh, reduce those interferences, so that you can you can perform how you want to perform and how you need to perform, 
but I think it's touching on those interferences and really giving those a damn good think and get a damn good listening from uh, people that you trust. I don't know whether that's helping at all, but the other thing is to get by the book as well, uh, The Inner Game of Tennis, because it really does uh, focus on self one and self two brilliantly. And it's a game changer uh, for a lot of people who are in, in your situation. It's another 68 pence earned by JB there for that little click. There we go. That will help pay the um, Limited on time. So this one's a quick answer from us, JB. Um, yep. Who was your best leader ever and why from Gareth? I'll go first. Mine was, well, there's there's a few, but I will mention one that comes to mind because of your name. My, one of my first ever leaders that I admired was a guy called Gareth, and he taught me um, about the importance of respecting, and I felt respected for the first time by my leader there. You know, previously it was definitely a supervisory type experience that I always felt overpowered by the boss, and actually he valued what I had to bring to the table and and made me feel feel confident about my potential and he was the first person that did that uh well my favorite leader of all time as you probably will um work out pretty damn quickly um is william rogers uh he was the ceo of ukrd group and it's not a book plug uh but um he had a profound effect on me uh as a consultant and trainer in his business he employed me uh, over several years to help him uh, get his organization to become the Sunday Times best company to work for um, four times, no less than four times. And he was also Sunday Times best company leader himself. And he was uh, a flipping, flipping good listener. And he knew still is, every... by the way. He's still alive in case he keeps talking about oh, yeah. the past. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about in the past. Yeah. Well, he, because he was, then you know, he made a lot of money. And now I think he's investing in lots of different things and writing books mm. with very strange people like me. You would, um, uh, if you're interested in finding out a bit more about William Rogers, by the way, um, for those of you that haven't listened to the episode, I think it's the No Normal Leader special about four weeks ago, wasn't oh, yeah. it? Where we, where we right. had him on the program the program yeah. the show the podcast not really sure what it's called anyway um thanks for listening ladies and gents um quick um what are you up to over the next uh, few days bank holiday weekend ahead of us what's the plan Ooh, i'm going to take the uh the pedal off a little bit now what? and yes no i yes no yes no yes no but uh, I've got some more book stuff. So I'm building courses around uh, No Normal Leadership. And by September, I will have courses available uh, for people to download. But that is an awful lot of content uh, writing. I've got someone who uh, is helping me to do that. I've got a meeting with them tomorrow. And I meant to have done a whole load of homework, which I haven't. So I shall be doing that this afternoon, post-haste, um, as well as walking the dog. Um, popping off to the pub for a quickie. Um, quick, quick pint, yeah. A quick pint. Right. Yeah. Spending the weekend. Oh, my wife's done a very strange thing, um, which is to uh, spring doors she's created. Um, normally there's advent doors in Ramsgate where we all huddle around people's houses and chat uh, about the weather and nonsense. And because it was so popular in the wintertime, given COVID and everything else, because social distancing obviously taken into account, uh, we will be having spring doors. And it's open to anybody in Ramsgate, which is scaring the shit out of me because I might need some bodyguards to protect us. Um, and that's putting a very bad dim light on Ramsgate. Actually, every time we've done it, we've had the most delightful people turn up. Some of them are interesting creatures and characters but um, most by and large they're fabulous and it's worthwhile doing because it's big community uh, anyway so i'm going to be uh, forced uh, to to make the front of the house look all spring-like nice oh that sounds lovely and um what about you ant um have you got big family things or are you going to uh, run off in your sports car well not run off drive off in your sports car for a, a welcome relief moment on um, your own? i've got some time i need to go and stamp my feet with the local council on some local planning issues that i've got some oh, yes. gripes with um football match with my oldest boy on saturday morning um and then not much saturday afternoon or evening probably do something with the family um 
wife and sister-in-law and I need to consume a lot of alcohol. My wife got a special deal with the supermarket shopping this week and my sister-in-law and me drink my wife under the table. So we'll have a crack at that, I think, on Saturday evening. Sunday lunchtime meeting up with some family friends for a picnic weather permitting sunday night my wife's birthday eve so we're going out for dinner um in a duffel coat somewhere um around our home area and then bank holiday monday i don't think we've got any plans so that that's kind of it and then you know back to the the craziness that is work on the tuesday so there you go is it a spank holiday monday on monday it is it's a bank holiday weekend God. You've slept walked into that one, haven't you? It's a three-day weekend, which is why you and me aren't doing any work on Monday. Do you remember Monday's our normal webinar day, but there's nothing on Monday. Well, if there is, there shouldn't be. Well, how exciting. Hmm. I hadn't even I haven't even planned anything for Monday. Well, think about the electricity saving of your shed with having it closed an extra day this weekend. Absolutely. Anyway, um, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been JB. And my goodness, we've been honest today. 